0: What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from... William A. Mabira An inmate at... The California State Prison. And, instance, this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different complete guy. Which is the guy who the walkways of St. death row and, without a gang, without a, a people around me. It was just me.
1: Soon after you went into to be on death row and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then you said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out, so that you're... that's actually
0: funny. That's funny. I'll tell you why. That's a good one,
1: man. I'll tell you why. Welcome to Death Row Diaries, the only podcast hosted live from Death Row. I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm William McGuire. And Bill, today we're going to talk about Bill Suff, a guy that you're familiar with because, well, you're in the same institution, right? Well,
0: I'm actually in the same unit with him. He lives about,
1: oh, I'd say about 30 feet from me. Oh, goodness. Is he going to hear you? Uh, probably not, but if maybe does.
0: At this point, look, I'm kind of look. We want to discuss these people because I think it's important the public understands who these guys are. So, throw caution to the wind. Let's uh, let's talk about these guys. You know, I've been kind of only reserving myself for people who are dead or people not really associated with me. But I think it's important that we start talking about these guys that I know intimately
1: because I watch them and I've watched them for decades. Okay, first we want to remind everyone to check out our Patreon page, that is patreon.com slash Death Diaries, where you'll get access to content that's otherwise not available. That That same content is also available on the Spotify app, that is Anchor, you'll see locked content, you can unlock that for a small fee, that helps keep the show going. If you're not into that, we always have free content coming out, so... We do appreciate you listening either way. Also, check out our Facebook page at Death Row Diaries and Instagram at Death Row Diaries. All right, Bill. Now, Bill Suff, this guy is known as the Riverside Killer, and a, does he have another nickname also? Well, he's known as the Lake Elsinore Killer,
0: as well as the Riverside Prostitute Killer, as well as the Chili Key.
1: The Chili King. All right, that sounds ominous as hell. I think we'll get into that a little bit later. So, why don't we just start from the beginning. Bill Suff, he's from Torrance, California. That's right near where you grew up. And he, I guess, I don't know. Does he have a normal childhood or some problems? Not that it really matters.
0: Yeah, I mean, look. you know, you know. According to him and his defense team, he had an overbearing mother. His father left the family very early on. He is one of five children. He had to immediately take the role as the father. Uh, So, yeah, it wasn't the best uh, situation. There was no real child abuse. There was no uh, sexual abuse to him as as a child that we can see or anybody's ever talked about. So it's a pretty... Normal kid. He was. He was kind of a dweeb. You know, he was, he was part of the band in uh, in high school. You know, shy guy. wasn't entirely too popular. Didn't have a whole lot of girlfriends. Not a bad looking kid. You know, blonde. You know, blue eyed kid. So nothing really stuck out about this guy that was horrible.
1: Yeah, I saw some photos of him. Maybe you can answer this because you're from this generation so he's got his pants hiked up and you know he looks like he's in the band and and he looks really dorky but back then didn't the cool guys also have their pants up really high so i don't get how that became like a nerd stereotype when it seems like the the cool dudes were doing that too in the 70s yeah
0: you know the truth of the matter is that you know cool is something you are you are or you're not and you could be the biggest nerd in the world and have a great leather jacket on, and you're still a nerd. So <laughs> I don't think it matters what you wear. It's, it's a presence. So this guy's presence immediately came off as insecure, and, and, and that's how he made up for it. He's very controlling. You know, he learned that when he was a very small child, taking care of his siblings. So this is a trait that he picked up along the way. But, you know, he seems normal there's not a whole lot of torturing of animals or lighting fires that we know of. So, in uh, in, in Bill's stuff, you have a person who, he, he has his own personality. And right out of a high school, he joins the Air Force. Doesn't have a spectacular career. Um, he meets a young woman, young girl, she's about 15 years old. You know, they, they talk. He goes into the Air Force, and really the next time that they really talk is her telling him that she was raped and that she's going to have a child. And his response to the whole situation is, and and they had kind of a girlfriend-boyfriend relationship, was, don't worry about it. We'll have the baby. I'll take care of it. I'll be its father. Let's get married. I don't know what the hell that came from, but... That's exactly what he does. He marries that woman. But it just it just goes really, really weird. He immediately takes over the, 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 the household. He's domineering. He's a, a little professor. He, every, he knows about everything. And, and speaking about him now, Matt, I know this guy now. He thinks he knows everything. He's an authority on movies. He's an authority on music. He's an authority on, he fancies himself an editor. You know, he's an author. All these things that are just made up. He has no books to his name. He has no editing resume. It's just something he makes
1: up along the way to tell other people how superior he is. Does he have that kind of retentive, traditionally called, you know, right-brained, like that military demeanor, kind of an officious... um, maybe lacking a sense of humor type vibe. Uh, He thinks
0: he's funny as hell, but, you know, he's just not not very intelligent, but he makes up for it by basically filling in the blanks. He talks about things that he knows a little bit about but other people know zero about, so he seems like an authority. Mm -hmm. But when he gets next to a person that knows what we're talking
1: about, all his mirrors and the, the smoke and mirror show falls apart, which I've seen happen And then he changes the subject. Right. So, he gets into this relationship, and then he, from what I understand, he lies to the woman and says that, well, to his wife, and says that babies aren't allowed on military bases, which isn't true. And so it seems like this baby is a point of contention. Maybe he does... Care for the woman, but not the baby. Well, correct. And he's a
0: narcissist, so he needs all the attention on him. And basically the baby, he just shuttles it up to his parents' house to be raised with their parents. And he had told the, the actually people in the military base that the baby had died. So he's already began to formulate this web of lies based on very small truth in order to be able to formulate his own world. And that's really what he starts to do and how he does it. But it, it, it's really interesting because soon after that, the woman um, has a, a boy, a child from Bilsuff, and which he calls also Little Bill or Junior. And that seems to please him a bit. But um, it doesn't last because he abuses the little boy. And then she's pregnant again this time she has a little girl and he goes to the same thing he's very proud of his achievement of the fact that he is a father and this is about him it has nothing to do with the child he likes to pose with the child he likes to tell people he's the father and how how he brags about how his sexual prowess. all this stuff he loves to do but when it comes to taking care of the child itself, he, he's horrible he's abusive he strikes the children on the head the, the woman, the wife, is very upset about this. And one day, he's kind of a stay-at-home dad. He doesn't do anything. He, the, the wife gets a phone call. And he says that the little girl is not breathing, that there's something wrong with her. So she rushes home. Of course, she's the mother. And they find that the child is deceased. And it's, it's a three-month-old child, two or three-month-old child so an autopsy is done and it's found that the liver is ruptured and it's from the mark is there it's from a fist punching this child this toddler this this infant um the police arrest both Bill bilsoff and his wife for child abuse and murder uh, he's taken to trial he's convicted of murder he is given 70 years in a Texas penitentiary for this murder. Make no mistake that he murdered this child. And they didn't just find the one punch where you know, he lost his temper, whatever excuse you. There was a history of abuse. This child is only two to three months old. And there is a history of already abuse in the body where the body healed. So they know he's been abusing this child since birth. They also convict the wife of they charge her and they convict her, but a a court later reverses that, finds that there's no evidence that she had anything to do with the murder of the child. So, you think, 70 years,
1: that's a long time, right? You go to prison, you don't get out. How many years? 70 years. 70. 70. 70 years in prison. And you would think that's enough to put him away for the rest of his life, done deal. Not even close. They let him out after 10 years. Mm. Wow.
0: <laughs> yeah, he gets out and he relocates to his old stomping grounds, which is Riverside, the Lake Elsinore area. So, man, we've talked about how serial killers, when they're caught early, they go to prison. And really, then they began to develop their M.O. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. They begin to develop their taste. What they want to do. We saw with Bitteker and a number of different serial killers who have gone to prison. They get out, and then they start a new spree. We already know he's a killer. He killed a three-month-old child and abused his son. He shot his dog, for God's sake. And... He gets out, he relocates, and then he gets a job as a county clerk. You know, again, he's in charge. He likes, he, he deals with the, the the Riverside Police Department in that area. And, you know, he even wears a jacket that looks similar to a police jacket, wears a little hat. He likes to be the guy in charge. He's a little know it bone. And, you know, Sooner or later, bodies begin to start popping up, and now they are sex workers. And, you know, he's convicted of killing 12 women, and he's also then attached to a 13th murder victim. But he suspected between 25 and 30 murders. There's a long list of women that, at some point, when you already have 12 murders that you know he did, you kind of say, okay, we don't have to convict him of every single murder. He's going to death row. he's not getting out. But bodies begin to to pile up. The thing about this guy, Matt, and we'll discuss it when we get back, is the brutality of this guy's murder spree. This guy is angry. And it's not just that sex workers, it's something that's inside of him. This guy's a born killer. There's no doubt. He kills a child, and now he's after sex workers. And he actually has a campaign talking about them to the community, how they're terrible, they're bad for, the, for society, they're bad for the community. So we'll discuss that
1: when we get back. Hey, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. Oh, man, you got to wonder what he said to get hired from the county. I doubt that he told them he had beat a baby to death. But I wonder if he explained away his absence or whatever. Man, it was a long time ago, but it uh, makes, you, makes you wonder. Um, so can Boy, I remember you remember back, I'm sorry, I was going to say, back then they didn't have internet.
0: You just couldn't search a guy. So the county records would not have any of his actions in Texas. It's another state, another county. It's really different. He actually should never, he, he was not supposed to leave Texas as because he's jump parole. But in those days, you could easily just jump a state. and No one would know because law
1: enforcement back then didn't share information. Yeah. I guess I don't know how hard it is to get those jobs, even seeing it. Well, for Christ's sake, I've forged many resumes in my life, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> 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 so wow. what was the... Can you elaborate a little? He had, like, a campaign against prostitutions? Like, what do you mean by that? Like, he was just walking around, like, spouting off, like, Republican, uh, <laughs> I don't know, moral majority type stuff, or what? Well, no.
0: What he what he was doing was, because he got a county job, he really began to speak to a lot of employees, a lot of different people when he'd go to community, um programs where the community meets to talk about topics in that particular community, like a town hall meeting. And he would really become the authority on these prostitutes that he wants sex workers here, the drug use, their bad influence on children. All of these things that he was, that he really believed in, he was spewing. So he became the authority. And if you want, he passed out flyers. He did all these things. But at the same time, he was frequently these locations and having sex with these workers. And it just it's one of those things where you have the blurred lines of a killer really living his biggest fantasies, which is to somehow exterminate these particular type of people in his neighborhood, but also enjoying the gratification of what he gets from them as well. It's very interesting how that works, but you know his crime spree. You know they don't know exactly when they started. He started because he had, there's so many murders, but they have a pretty good point where he started. And it was like January the tenth, nineteen eighty nine. There is a sex worker by the name of Rhonda Jitmore, and Bill Suff uh, approaches her. They make an agreement for a sexual encounter, and suddenly he begins to choke her gets up the of her, begins to really manually uh, strangle her he's able to uh, hit him with a flashlight and run out of the place he, he tackles her he brings her to, he's not a very big guy by the way he's only about 5 foot 7 I think on a good day not very big but he's a man so he's he obviously stronger than a woman is most of these women have used drugs to not best shape of their lives so he's able to subdue them very quickly So, you know, he really tries to kill her. But in all that, she knocks his glasses off, and he then has to find him, obviously. And in that, she runs out of the house. She flags down a car, and she happens to know who the driver is. Remember, she works this neighborhood. And the driver sees stuff coming after him, Pulls out a gun and fires at him, which scares him off, and nothing happens. They don't know who it is. They they don't always name. They have a brief description of a guy. You know, guy in his forties, in his kind of a a dirty looking white guy. It matches a million people's description, so nothing comes of it. So six months pass. On June the 12th, 1989, Kimberly Little, who's 28 years old, is found strangled to death. And it's manually strangulation. She's on the side of a road next to Lake Elsinore. And from the autopsy, she's been struck in the head and then strangled with a cat. But she has all over her body burn marks from a cigarette. Um, the injuries took place while she was alive, so it was torture she was found covered in this towel that had red, white, and blue fibers. And that's all they found. So the police pick her up. Look, she's a sex worker. No one really cares. No one's coming out of the woodwork saying, look, you have to find the killer. So it goes unnoticed. And it's documented, but nothing big happens. And then six months after that, Christine Leo She's 28, she's found strangled, and she's stabbed in Quail Valley, hillside. She's last seen the night before that, being picked up by a white guy in a van. That's all they know. There are marks on her ankles and wrists, which means she was bound somewhere. She was beaten. She had stab wounds to genitalia, and one of her nipples was cut off of her body. And the craziest part about this is the perpetrator then got a light bulb and inserted it into her uterus and left it there unbroken. That's how they found her.
1: Talk about a sick guy, right? Yeah, it's hard to know what to make of that. In fact, what do you make of it? Is this just being weird for the sake of being weird? Or is is that supposed to symbolize something, or do we need to waste our time wondering what it does symbolize? Well, I I know Bulsoff.
0: He is a sadistic, narcissistic, just a guy who gives gags out of the silliness of things. He likes to joke around about things. He signs memorabilia, the chili key, and he laughs about the different things that he has done, like put Body parts in the chili that he was feeding, that he was inserting into the chili, which was body parts of the women he was killing. At least that's his assertion. He gets a kick out of that. So then he put a light bulb into her uterus, stabbed her genitalia, tells me a few things. First and foremost, he's very angry at these people, he's upset at the sex that he has to bow down to, he has to have sex. He knows it, he dislikes it, that he's ruled by that. So he stabs, he destroys the source of his pleasure and the the source of his downfall, which he believes would make him dirty as well. So he cuts that out. He cuts the nipple off, again, destroying the body that... This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. And something that actually controls him. He is a control freak, so he must control what he has. How did he do it? He destroys the body. He destroys the uterus. He puts a light bulb there. That was almost disrespectful, and to him, it
1: was the ultimate disrespect. So, therefore, the ultimate control. So, is this? Yeah. So, is it typical? To, it seems like he's almost angrier after the fact. I don't think these guys have remorse, but maybe a period. A brief period of guilt or coming down. It seems like his, his sort of rage is just like a constant like red line.
0: Well, he's ruled by instinct. So his instinct is to define the, how to sexualize his pleasure, how to sexualize the control. So that's his instinct. He can't control it. So he goes out, finds a woman, he has sex, and then he kills them. And then. He's angry at himself because he's actually being controlled by his sweet staff, can't tell you. He cuts off nipples, he cuts off body parts. That's because he's destroying the body. He's angry at the prostitute, the sex worker, because to him, she made him do it. It's like the devil made me do it type kind of thing. Oh. But ultimately, he hates himself and he won't cut himself or kill himself because he's a coward. So he he, he attacks the source of what controls him. That's what this guy's going through. And as I said, I know him. I know what this guy's about. I know what makes him tick. I've watched him. I've spoken to him. I've interviewed him over the last two decades. That's what he's doing. Because he
1: jokes about it. Okay. So his life during this spree, and we're going to have at least 12, 13 victims, but, but probably more is that he's working for the county he's kind of ingratiated into this like city council cop world and that's where the chili cook-offs come in is he married is he uh what what is his day-to-day he doesn't kill every day but does he see prostitutes every day i mean what's his kind of pathetic life like at this point well, yeah, he's married again. He's married to a much younger woman.
0: But even there, he's controlling her. She can't go shopping without him being there. She can't leave the house unless he's escorting her. It's like a complete freakish control situation with this guy. And he's a tyrant. That's exactly what this guy is. He's a little tyrant. And he's a little guy. This guy would not win a fist fight if he paid someone to help him. But it's this... Thing about controlling women—he loves to control them, and he does that with a much younger woman that he's married. This woman is very young. Um, he, he comes off like the, the knight in shining armor first, and then he shows his true colors. But as this is going on, he's killing. And there's another another body found a month later, um, and it's a, a woman by the name of Thomas Ferguson, she's 23 years old, but she's found a little bit different. So. He, he begins to pose them. He throws them in trash bins. This woman was found in a trash bin. He he puts her in a trash bin. He props her legs open, poses her. He has a trash bag put over half of her body, covering her face and her top half. She's boned and she's beaten. Which is really weird, but there's also people talking about a guy in a silver van. And that's what police are beginning to hear. There's a guy in a silver van. And it just, it picks up a month later, Carol Miller. And this one, they find her in 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 an orchard. In a a grapefruit orchard. She is beaten, smothered, stabbed five times. She's nude except for a t-shirt pulled over her head. Like, he doesn't want to look at the face. And then next to the body, they find a peeled and half-eaten grapefruit, just started there. Like after he got done with this, he ate a grapefruit, thought, oh, no big deal. I just tossed it and walked away. Which is really interesting because it kind of shows his demeanor. It shows this guy is very flip about it. It's not that big a deal. I just accomplished a goal. I was thirsty. I was a little hungry. I had a grapefruit and I walked away. No big deal. So you kind of get in the picture of what this guy's like.
1: Yeah, it's he's got a chip on his shoulder, so you don't think the grapefruit is to signify, because they know, he knows that they're going to find the body, so that's not to send a signal, that's just that he's just very casual about it. Is there almost an element of him proving something to himself, though, like being a little bit demonstrative, you know, like, look how cool I am, type of thing?
0: I think it's probably even simpler than that. I just think he's a little hungry. I just did a lot of work here. Took out the trash and I'm um, going to have me a grapefruit. I think mean, it's that simple with this guy. I know this guy. I know how he is. He's, you know, he's very gregarious. Greg- and he, Oh, and this, and I cannot. And that's the way he is. And the, the mutilation of the body is just keep more and more. There's a woman by the name of Cheryl Coker. He, he kills her on November 6th, 1990. And with, again, he throws her in a dumpster. He strangles her with a wire and the force is so much that he almost he cuts the, the neck with the wire that he strangles with her. He cuts off her her, her right breast after she's dead. It's post-mortem. And he just throws her about 30 feet away from the body. Um, it's it just, this guy has it's no disregard. It's complete disregard. It's complete I don't care. Attitude. Let me call back. Thank you for using global Link.
1: Okay. So are you saying, I think I'm starting to get it a little bit in that he's kind of a dumb guy. So he just kind of lives in the moment, a lot of instant gratification. He doesn't do a lot of self-reflecting or look, you know, even, looking back on on events and analyzing things, like a dumb guy sees a a corn dog stand and he goes, I want a corn dog. He doesn't go like, well, you know, what's the saturated fat content or whatever. Like, is he really kind of like, he's just in the present for the most part. And he's like, I want to do this. And that's what I'm going to do. And then moving on. Yeah, his instincts rule
0: this guy. He has no uh, discipline. He is a killer who he gets the urge and he allows, he allows it to completely dominate him, and he goes out and does what he does. And, and he has these this mo of dumping women next, next uh, their trash cans because he's telling us for him he's taking out the trash. Um, he he poses the bodies in a really uh, like almost like a nasty way. He wants to show that these women are sex workers. Their bodies are, to him, they're just trash. So he puts them next to trash. He pulls them, he pulls them in very lewd positions to, um, to show off their genitalia. He cut, toss, cuts off the breast because and he, and he stabs the genitalia because it's what he wants to prove that women are lesser than him. That's why he attacks the breast so much. These are things, you know, a a mother's breast is what gives life to a child. To him, there's a problem with that. That doesn't work for him, so he attacks that particular part of the body. And then there is a task force assigned to this case, and they begin to put out information. One of the particular uh, insights of this task force was that this guy only kills white women, and that's what they had put out. That's what his MO is. He likes to kill white sex workers. And what does he do next? Just to kind of mess with their head, he goes out and on September the 13th, 1981, they find the first black sex worker that's killed. Her name is Catherine McDonald, and he did it for one reason. He did it for the reason because the police said he only kills white women. He wanted to prove them wrong. But in this situation, it was a really bad, bad, all of them were bad, but this was really bad. The girl was four months pregnant, first of all. He posed her with her legs spread, feet together, arms stretched out. The right breast was removed post-mortem. Stabbed the genitalia numerous times. They find shoe prints matching other crime. They also found her, her head was buried in the ground. So he posed her in such a weird way in order to really defile the body. This guy was a terrible person. He is a terrible person. There was severe trauma to the body. And I think he did it almost because he was angry that he felt he had to prove the police wrong. But he also did not want to cross that racial line. He wanted to kill prostitutes that were Hispanic or white. For some reason, the black sex worker upset him highly. So he really uh, inflicted a great deal of trauma to the body. Almost
1: like it was making him angry that he had to prove them wrong. That is a level of depravity that we've rarely touched on, and we touch on a lot of it. I mean, the fact that he would go out of his way to signify his disgust at someone that he killed and and bury their head in the ground as if it's their fault or something. I mean, my God. Is he a racist? You know
0: Whatever makes him happy that day, I, I don't believe that he is the kind of guy that takes the time to have a some type of theory about racism or I don't think he cares about that. But if, it, if it's to his convenience that particular day, maybe I think he's tasting women like oh, you know, some guys like blonde-haired women or brunettes or like somebody else. Mm-hmm. With him, it was he wanted to kill Hispanic and white sex workers. That was his MO. That's with his MO from the very beginning. Um, what does he actually do in this situation? It's almost like he has to prove people wrong. If they tell him that you're only 5'7", he'll wear high heels and prove he's 5'8 or 5'9. <laughs> it's just that's part of his personality.
1: Yeah. A lot of angry short guys out there, that's for sure. But these killings keep happening. I'm assuming the community is is very uh, aware of it and concerned, but they just keep coming here for a while in succession, right? So the the amount of, of killing he does is, is pretty
0: incredible, not in a good way. Because between 1989 and 1991, he basically kills about 25 women. Delia uh, Zamora 35, October 30, 1991. He kills her by crushing her larynx. Uh, Eleanor Casares, 39, December 23, 1991. Found in an orange group. Uh, breast removed post-mortem. Other murders attributed to him are Michelle Gutierrez, Charlotte Palmer, Linda Ortega, Martha Young, Diane Tullivar, Julie Angel, Sherry Palser. These are just some of the murders. This guy had it was a terror, almost like a spree killing in his own manner. And the way they caught him was just I mean, pure luck. This guy worked as as a warehouse clerk. He delivered the furniture, the desks for the task force that was actually chasing him. So he was always around the crime scene and I mean, the, the crime laboratory where these officers and law enforcement were working. He was off, often there getting comments about, oh, you found another body. Oh, that's, wow, you must be, you're working all the time. This guy really is fast, isn't he? He's making these comments while he's there. He makes it a point to come back to deliver desks to give the officers better chairs because the chairs they delivered before weren't that good. So he's making excuses. Uses to get into the room with the same officers in order to kind of look and tease them with little tidbits that he may have and get a chuckle out of them. This guy is just what he's the classic case of a serial killer who wants to inject himself into the investigation. It's incredible how much control he tries to put over on the task force, his life, the people he knows, and, um, you know he's making mistakes. He's driving this van. It has four sets of tires on it, and the tires, each one, is like one's a Goodyear, one's a you know a Bridgestone on his van. So the cops already know that where they're driving, where he's driving, there are four sets of tires. So the, the car that they're using has these tires, and this is really going on. It's, it's happening faster and faster. More bodies are popping up, and finally, an officer pulls over a, 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 a silver van because it makes an illegal U-turn. When they pull him over, the, the officer finds in the back of it a bloody knife, and number of objects from the killings, ties, and different things. It's January 9, 1992. He calls it in, and it happens that the lead detective on the case, the lead detective, so the lead detective takes the call. He hears that there's a van, bloody knife, And the first question she has for the officer that has this guy pulled over is, what type of tire is on the front of the van? When he tells her what it is, she says, don't let him go, I'm on my way. And that's how they catch this guy. She gets there, she checks the four tires, and they match the crime scene tires. The knife, everything there matches. They immediately arrest this clown. And basically, that's the end of the Riverside Killer. Of course, he goes through a trial, and they come victim of 12 murders, and then a 13th one, and they have uh, attributed to another uh, nearly 12 murders. They think he killed between 25 and 30 victims that he has, and I'm willing to bet it's a little bit higher than that, maybe 34 to 37. But this guy was prolific. 89
1: to 91, he probably killed between 38 and, uh, 36 and 38 women in the same area. So, the tires on his van, would... we're talking about the four sets of tires. So, he had mismatched. He had four different brands of tire, a different brand on each wheel. Correct. That's exactly what he had and his van was silver which is not that common but also it's it's very bright and reflective and shiny so between those two things he didn't really do that do that very smart did he no and of course there's the knife in the back of his car that has blood on it yeah that's bad i mean they they knew it was him i mean you know they they investigated
0: him right away. they know he killed his own child in 1973 in texas he did 10 years he never should have left and then they're attributing all these murders to him there's the chili king thing too he was cooking chili for the law enforcement they were investigating he won an award for for god's sakes and he jokes about it that he actually put body parts that of the women he killed in the chili which made it it get a better aroma. I've heard him say this. This is not me making this shit up. This is me talking to this clown and him telling me what he did.
1: So when did he start with this chilly claim? First of all, it's a little bit biased, you know, like certain people, you know, they they like foy-gras, can't really get into it. He's assuming that everyone else you, enjoys uh, the, you know, human flesh or something where that's more just him and a few other people. So I want to put this chili thing to bed and, and hopefully never speak of it again, because it's very disgusting. What? Okay. So he had a hobby of making chili and he would do it at like community gatherings. From what I understand, would he bring it to the police that, that uh, we're doing the investigation? Like when he was delivering furniture, like, Hey guys, you're my friend, right? Have some chili, that type of thing. And also at these cook-offs, these police-like
0: gatherings where they were doing a community service that he'd bring his chili. He actually won a couple of awards in different places. They weren't national awards. They were just, you know, community things. But, of course, here, talking to him here, he was an award-winning chili maker, and the whole world recognized him and all this stuff. He takes a bit of a grain of, of truth, and he creates a freaking narrative that only he could have created. But according to him, because he even signs recipes here, that's the other creepy part. This guy gets letters from people, other inmates here will get. He will sign, he'll, he'll write down the ingredients, he'll sign it. The chili king Bill off and gets him off. It's something that somebody wants from him.
1: He is the authority on it, so it gets him off. Well, do you believe him about this? Was he serving chili with human meat in it to the community and to law enforcement? It, or is he prone to lying? Well, he's prone to lie, obviously,
0: but I do believe he did that. I think it got his rocks off. I think it almost, it fed the people that were investigating him really what he despised of the most. He he gave law enforcement trash, what he believed was trash, being sex workers. And it got him off. It was a bit of control for him. And I think that he providing food for them and one like cut a lot of breasts off that he was providing breasts. It, it really gets him going. When I when I spoke to him about it, oh, you should him, hear him giggling about this stuff. So I absolutely believe it. He also was caught with a lot of purses and jewelry and small trophies he took from the victims. They found them in his home. He was tried and convicted of all those crimes, but the 12 murders plus the 13th one later. Uh, so this guy is absolutely a serial killer. There is no the judgment and mistake the DA charged the wrong guy. This guy is exactly what he is. He is a killing machine that is ruled by his
1: instincts, and he is a serial killer. And I think the chili thing is consistent with his other behavior of, of of showing off a little bit and putting a light bulb in someone and things like that. I think it's something that he would enjoy. I think it's something that gets him off to where he thinks, wow, how awesome am I for doing this? You know, so I would be inclined to believe it too. So before we wrap up, he cannot have done well in prison. I'm wondering about in Texas, but but also after he was convicted as a serial killer. I mean, this guy, this guy beat a baby to death. He didn't even kill a baby by slicing its throat, which is heinous, like to state the incredibly obvious, but he, he beat up a baby. I would imagine on the echelon of hatred and, and persona non grata in prison, this guy possibly could be number one. Oh, he's up there, but he's in a
0: protective custody yard. He's in the ADA yard. And you know, for those who are wondering, well, why didn't Bill do something? Well, look, uh, my job is as an IDAP worker They want to care for these people. My job is not to inflict justice on them. Um, so I, I was there, I believe for a bigger picture, which was to learn about these guys, understand them, and then give a service to the public. It wasn't to take this guy's head off. But there are, if this guy walked into any other yard in any prison where it's a normal level four, he would be dead in seconds. Because he is, as you mentioned, persona non grata. He is the top, which is a person who harmed a child. On top of that, he's a serial killer, a rapist, a. Just a piece of garbage, and he would be killed immediately. Uh, unfortunately, it's never going to happen because he's in a protective custody yard, and there is no real death penalty in California. So he'll live off the rest of his life telling stories, signing autographs. There's even he even has cards, little trading cards with his picture on. On the back of the picture, there are the names of his kills and they trade those cards here on St. Quinn's death row. They also send these cards to their groupies. This is something that exists. This is something I'm making up.
1: It absolutely exists. So, in your studying of these guys, uh, listeners, if you go back a few episodes, you'll see Larry Neso, and that's a guy that you studied in depth. And I know that you tried to see what you could get out of Bill Suff, but... Um, so how would he kind of stack up? Like, did you get anything out of him or is he just kind of, I don't know, is he, is he not thoughtful? Is he, he doesn't express much or let me start over. What's it like talking to Bill Suff? You're always trying to get information out of these guys. I mean, how does he compare to some of the other guys that you covertly manipulated and, and studied and kind of buddied up to, you know, in a pretend way? Yeah, what Bill said, there wasn't a whole lot of
0: mystery. There wasn't, you know, a list where law enforcement couldn't find out who these people were. Uh, So it was very difficult to say, well, I want to find out about this person. Where is this person at? So my approach with him was a bit different. I was trying to learn about his traits, his behavior, uh, what motivated him. So I learned a great deal. Every serial killer is different. So every study for me is completely different. Some have similarities. But everyone has a different a different uh, instinct, why he does what he does. So from him, I received a lot of intel regarding the behavioral, uh, the behavior of a serial killer, specifically him as a serial killer, and why he killed as he did, why it was important for him to do the, to cut the breast off, why it was important for him to do all these things. And actually, and I'll, I'll divulge that, I am in the midst of running a book about William Suff as well, because he is very interesting, and he gives insight into the mind of a predator of this type. Every one of them is different, and we have other books written about these guys. that's really basically regurgitation of the trial, what he's accused and what he was convicted of. I believe that true crime has to be on something discovery, something that the reader is learning. Once you read one true crime book, you basically read all of them. That's the reason I read The Lens of a Monster. I wanted to give new insight, real intel that was groundbreaking about the field of serial killers.
1: You know it's pretty messed up and I've never thought about this before but in the way you're describing Bill Suff, and throughout your interactions with him and even in his civilian life Seems like kind of a happy guy, like happier than I am even. Am I misreading that? No, you'd be absolutely correct. A lot
0: of people um, call him a very gregarious guy, a guy who would always help. If someone needed something, he'd be the first one there to help you. Always there. Very healthy neighbor. Uh, He liked to help everyone. Kids, if you need your kids uh, looked after, Bill will do it. Uh, If you need your long, hey, Bill Self will do it. So yeah, you're right, he's always smiling, always laughing, but behind that mask, a monster existed, and
1: it's a terrible picture behind that mask. Well, is it fake? Like when call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. Like when he walks around San Quentin, when he's signing these recipes or, you know, doing whatever he's doing, I mean, is it fake or is he actually kind of content with things?
0: Well, it's about him. It feeds his ego, it feeds his narcissism. So it's as much for himself as it It benefits people when he was cutting someone's grass. It benefited them, of course, but it wasn't about that. It was about him doing something that helps somebody so he looked better. So it was about his image. Do you understand how that works? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was with this guy. And that's really exactly what he does the same thing here. He's just, again, he's changed the gratification. Now he saw his autographs to so other people. He writes recipes. He gets a gag out of it. But at the
1: same time, his self-importance grows. Truly bizarre. Well, we'll be back next week with another episode. This has been enlightening. In this case, slightly more perversely than usual. But nonetheless... We all appreciate it. So until next time, I've been Matt Ralston. And, and
0: I'm William Nogueira. And I want to just say this before we go, is that um, if people want updates of what's going on with me and my case and how I'm doing, please sign up for my newsletter. It's on William, uh, artistwilliamnogueira.com. You can just sign up for the newsletter or go to the Instagram page, go to the link tree. And you can sign up right there on the link tree. Uh, link to the... Uh, the newsletter, so please do that. So, of course, this
1: is William Negara. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life depends on it. We'll see you next time. So that's www. All one word: artistwilliamnegara. Right?
0: Correct. And they can find by looking in the menu section under. Uh, Sign up for a newsletter, and you'll see it there. You can just click on that, sign up, and you'll get a weekly newsletter that gives you insights and different things I'm doing,
1: what book's coming out, what Matt and I are doing, all those things. Until next time, I've been Matt Ralston. And I'm William
0: Nicaro. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life could depend on it.
1: We'll see you next time. All right. So, all right.